Hey everybody, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 17 of the show where we are launching into a new month of coverage and that's going to be February 1963. And as is often the case, we are starting with Thor uh, because I don't know, he seems to be leading off our months almost every month. Yeah, I was thinking it's probably because we're getting in a groove now where it's going to be the same books. So the cycle is going to be the same for a while because here I am again having to cover this story. (laughs) <laughs> and I think last time we covered Thor, I had to cover the story. <laughs> yeah, you made a comment recently that you feel like you're covering a lot of our Thor issues. I did listen, as we're recording this, episode six has just come out. So that's a 10-episode gap there. Um, and I did I did the one where Thor has to go. Um, it's a, it's a, just the second story where Jane Foster gets introduced, and he has uh-huh. to go to the, the communist stuff to do some things and... Anyways, yeah, yeah um, I was listening to the same thing and thought about that. Like, oh, he did do one. I think that might have been the only one you've done, but I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But I've right. done the I've done the last few. That's for sure. Yes, you, and I'm sure here comes the stupid joke. You're feeling very Thor about it right now. <laughs> Thor tired, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, are we ready to get into that? Yeah. So, I think um, February fifth, nineteen sixty three is our first week. February 5th, 1963 is the on-sale date. The cover date is April of that same year. Um, it's Journey into Mystery number 91. So what issue did he uh, debut in? 86? 83. Oh, 83? Wow, we've done yeah, a lot so of this Thor, is, huh? Yeah, this is his ninth issue. We're doing tenth. his tenth issue is next month. Okay, so written by, and I was thinking about this, as far as I know, every cover, every story we've done so far is written by Stan Lee, right? Have we covered anything not by Stan Lee? Um, Robert Bernstein has been doing some scripting and this one is actually scripted by Larry Lieber. Right. But still Stanley, maybe they're just throwing his name on for credit. Yeah. I think um, Stanley has a story idea and then everyone else has to, maybe Stanley just wants the, the money. I don't know. Um, new artist, Joe Sinat. Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not sure. I've, I've heard, heard of Sinat him. and Sinat. Sinat. Okay. Well, either way. S-I-N-N-O-T-T. I'll let you guys decide on that one. Um, and as always, in case you're new to the show, we try and just do a blind summarization. So I'm going to try and remember off the top of my head what I read for this show. So it starts with um, Odin, the All-Father, in Asgard. He's like kicking around in his basement, I guess. And he goes, hey, what's this? And he finds Thor's uh, old power belt, I guess he used to use mm-hmm. all the time and doesn't currently have. And Kind of muses to himself like, well, Thor's doing pretty good. He's kicking some real booty down on Earth right now. He probably doesn't need this. But, you know, just in case, maybe this issue. I don't know. And then it cuts to uh, Thor, who's flying around, coming back from his latest adventure, which seems to be how all these stories are opening lately. Thor flying from his latest adventure that we don't see. Or maybe it's the last adventure we did see. I don't know. He never really says. Um, and what happens? Oh, he sees a bank, which is an unusual. But this is a bank that's floating in the air. So the building's kind of floating upwards and he's like, what the heck? And he goes over there and he pushes it down with his Thor strength. But before he can really successfully accomplish anything, the bank then just disappears. And the people that were in the bank suddenly appear on the street. And he goes, well, that's weird. So he goes to an alleyway and he turns to Donald Blake. Why I forgot his name there for a second. Turns to Donald Blake and goes to eavesdrop and he hears all the people going like, yeah, I don't even remember what happened. I have no memory. I just know somebody stole our bank and stole our money. I don't know how I got here. And as he's sitting there thinking, well, that's weird. Sounds like magic. Could it be my evil brother, Loki? 
So he goes to the top of a mountain and he, he calls his dad and his dad says, nope, Loki's been here the whole time. I've forbidden him to go to Earth. I just saw him at Taco Bell on Tuesday. You know, he's here. So everybody's like, okay. And then how did he get – what's going on then? So then it flashes back as if to answer that question to like a couple days ago or a week ago or something. And Donald Blake and his would-be girlfriend, Jane Foster, are at a carnival. And they come across an act of like a mind reader guy. So he – I think he like puts Donald on the spot and says, you're in love with a girl whose initials start with JF. And Jane Foster is like, oh, does he mean me, Teehee? And he's like, no, 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 he's – doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just fooling. He's just fooling. Yeah, that's it. Tugging on his collar. Um, and then, meanwhile, Loki's watching this because even though he can't go to Earth, I guess he can watch Earth. And he decides, you know, I can't defeat Thor myself. I can't go down there. My powers don't work on him because we're both gods. I threw that in there, but that's what they established last time they fought. Um, but I can give this guy power. So he does. He does a little you know, hexing or something or wiggles his fingers, I guess. And the guy suddenly is like, hey, I can sense money in people's pockets. And hey, I can move that money with my mind. And hey, I could teleport that money from their pocket to my pocket. And he doesn't really know why this is happening. He's kind of just like, I've always had cool mental powers, but I guess I'm even better than I thought. And he decides like all villains to go on a villainous spree and that catches us back to the presence of the story where he the present of the story where he just stole the bank and he ported all the people back and then he decides that's not good enough for me i want a castle to live in so he goes to some asian type country and steals one of their castles and then they try and shoot him down with their jets and stuff but of course he can move things with his mind so he just pushes the missiles right back at him and none of this is enough by the way, Loki's watching the whole time and just like happy, happy, joy, joy about it. Um, but that's not enough for Sandu. He wants to rule the world. So what's the best way to do that? He's going to attack the United Nations. So he goes to the building when it's all full up, full of delegates, and he starts lifting it in the air. And he tells them, you all have to decide and agree that I am the ruler of the world, or I'm just going to lift this into space and kill you all. And they're all kind of like blinking, going, we don't really have that kind of power, but... Uh, well, think about it. And the other guy's like, he's stupid or something like that. One of the guys comments something funny that made me laugh. But anyway, of course, now this is all on TV. So Donald Blake sees it and goes, ah, that's the Loki I've been looking for. And he turns into Thor and he goes flying over there to take care of business, but doesn't even get a word out. He just shows up. And as soon as Sandu sees, Sando sees him, he like picks up 50 or so uh, steel beams or girders from this nearby um, construction site and just slams the mighty Thor with all of them. And Thor goes plummeting to the ground, falls into like this pit, and he's unconscious. And the, all the people around are just like, oh, my God, he knocked out Thor. No one's ever done that before, you know, which I think is true up until this point. But we'll decide on that in a minute. And then not not to kick a man while he's down, but he does because he takes this big chunk of chain and like wraps it around him and then he puts the united nations building on top of the pit that he's on or in so then thor wakes up and he's kind of like wow that really hurt and i'm really weak and i can't get these chains to budge let alone get this freaking building off me so what can i do oh i know dad help so he calls his dad and odin says ah my son needs the belt after all good thing i just found it and he calls his valkyries which are like these blonde kind of ghostly women thing, you know, that have like 
dresses and stuff and they can just float through anything and they take the belt and they float it down like angels to Thor and they can easily just like phase Kitty Pride style right through the building and through the chains and they put his belt on and they disappear and he wakes up and he's just like, whoa, power. And he easily breaks the chains and then he uses his hammer to like dig himself out of the pit underneath the building, I think. And then he faces Sando again. He says, round two, buddy. And Sando says, oh, yeah, I bet you're too chicken to throw that hammer at me. And Thor, because he's a god, he's like, nay, I'm not chicken at all. And he throws the hammer. And Sandu like, uses his telekinesis to stop it. And then he teleports both himself and the hammer to this alternate dimension that only he knows about. And Loki's just like, yes, this is it. Finally, Thor's going to get beat in 60 seconds. He's going to turn to a human again. And ha, 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 this is awesome. But Sando decides, I'm going to pick up this hammer, which, of course, he can't. He tries and he tries and he physically can't. So then he thinks, I'll pick it up with my telekinesis. And he tries even harder. And there's like lightning bolts coming out of his black eyes and stuff. And Loki's like, no, don't do that. You're going to wreck everything. But Sando either can't hear him or doesn't care. And keeps trying, but the enchantment on the hammer is so strong that it basically backfires on Sando and short circuits his powers. So he kind of just turns back to normal and he uh, he and the hammer teleport back to the regular dimension where Thor is standing. So Thor is able to pick up his mallet and not revert back to Donald Blake. At which point Thor picks up Sando and says, I should give you a major god smackdown, but you're just a mere mortal now and you're not worth my time. And he kind of just throws him to the police and I guess he just goes home and Loki's like, aw, shucks. And that's the end. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, he's like, stupid mortal. If he hadn't tried to lift that hammer, Thor would have, might have been defeated. Yeah. I've got to find another way. I, to, it's a good thing I have all 700 issues ahead of me to do this one. <laughs> right. Good thing I'm his number one villain. Right. Um, I do have Sandu as his name. Okay. On, on my, you're right. It's Sandu. I think it's a U, yeah. That's what happens uh, when, you, when you're just going by memory. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, Sandu, master of the supernatural, is um, not not exactly masterful, but you know, whatevs. He's very. Um, what was the guy Hulk fought? Metal Master or something mm-hmm. like that. He's very much like that. Only, I guess, even more powerful. Yeah, because he can also teleport, and he isn't limited to just affecting metal. Like. S- Technically, so, I mean, he's a really powerful person, really. He could be really, really powerful. He just got stuck in a story that <laughs> doesn't really use that. <laughs> well, I mean, he it's knocks out like Thor in five seconds. It's kind of like we were saying before the episode, when you're watching Peter Capaldi episodes, you're like, man, he is such a good doctor. But man, this episode is not that great. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, except for the Bill episodes. I love the Bill episodes. So... One thing I want to draw attention to as we go through each issue, this particular episode and next episode, is there's a new decoration on the cover. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I knew I'd totally forget, but I wanted to point it out also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Silver Age Marvel Comics are known for having a little corner icon mm-hmm. of the character or team of that book. And that starts here. Right. So like in the top left corner. If you're looking at the book, top left corner, there'll be like a head or maybe even their whole body sometimes mm-hmm. right above the you know Marvel Comics group, 12 cents. And I don't always know who draws them. Um, no, but you can buy their like the original art on these things. And sometimes it goes for pretty good. Like if it's a pretty iconic pose yeah. or something. I've never seen this one. It's just basically like head and shoulders of Thor. And he's kind of just smiling for the prom or something. But Yeah, it's literally like his driver's license photo. Yeah. 
But it's um, cool that they're starting. Yeah, it is very cool they're starting. Uh, the Spider-Man ones are the ones that I have in my head that I can like visualize at a moment's notice. I think later, like in the 80s, they're more like full body action shots. Yeah. I feel well, like. There's this one cool Spider-Man one. Like, I think it starts in the late 60s. It's his standing there looking sort of sort of forlorn, but also sort of like mm, uh-huh. ma- manly. You know, he's just like the lone Spider-Man. It, it's, a, it's a really cool just standing there shot. Yeah. But yeah, the action poses and um, the teams often get headshots, multiple headshots. Um, so so the, only, the only thing missing now for a modern comic, in my opinion, is like the bottom left should also have a something oh, which yeah, is either, need- which which will either be a picture or it'll be like a barcode if it was sold in a convenience right. store yeah once the direct market starts yet. up they don't have that so the power belt is something that comes out of thor mythology he actually has mm-hmm. three items of power the hammer as much prevalence as it gets in the comics is just one thing that he has in in, in the norse eddas mm-hmm. um and they all have names now we haven't gotten the hammer name. We don't get the belt name, but the belt's name in Norse is Megingjord, which wow. um, I looked up and it's a really cool name. It means power belt. Oh, well, not just a clever name. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what was the third item? He has gloves oh. that are, are called. I don't know how the EI is pronounced in Norse. If it's Jan Griper or Jan Graper. I don't know how to pronounce the, uh, the vowel there. Sounds very uh, um, on the nose either way, honestly. So yeah, it, it means something like strength gripper or something like that. I forget it. What the, I forget what the art part means. Um, I, I like that they caption though, like editors note: Thor really did have a belt in mythology, which is exactly we're not just why making this up. up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing this with Lily back whenever we were doing Avengers Inspirations, and she's like, "Really? He had a belt?" I was like, "Yeah, let's go look at the belt." So we go look at the belt, and there it is. It's the belt. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I have, we, we can go through this. Um, Don Blake is just there sort of like able to help, but doesn't really do anything to help. So he turns back into Thor and goes to ask his dad where Loki is. But how about and his dad? Like, like his dad actually is a person in this comic, which is interesting because they haven't really show. They always like show Asgard as kind of like a silhouette of people standing around maybe. Mm-hmm. Or very very close up, so you don't really see what's the background. And even in this, like the first two panels is Odin, right? You open it up, there's Odin. But this is like the first time he's not a big purple cloud talking to Thor, like you know Mufasa right. or something. Like he's just a dude, looks like a shirtless dude with a blue Viking helmet on and white beard. Again, it's close up though, so you don't really see where he is or what Asgard looks like per se. But his sense of fashion improves when Kirby starts drawing him. Right. All of them. Yeah, pretty much. Well, what do you think of the art just as a general comment? Because this is our new artist. And so we, hated, a, we hated the last book. Yeah, definitely an improvement mm-hmm. over Al Hartley. I agree. Um, I, I think there's a lot to like here. He does a really great faces mm-hmm. and distinguished faces. Like I like Loki. His, Loki ahead. doesn't look like Sandu, which doesn't look like Donald, which doesn't look like Thor. And Donald, I really liked his Donald. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe even more than Kirby. Definitely more than the last guy whose name escapes me, but Hartley, uh, Al Hartley. He looks like just a thin guy with a cane. Yeah, the- a little bit on a slight side with his frame, but mm-hmm. not like unhealthily so. Like a guy who can't run for exercise. Not right. that he would. Not which that is, he would in 1963 anyway. But which is definitely the impression we got under Al Hartley's pen is that this mm-hmm. guy is like a cripple. 
Yeah, like he has some sort of degenerative disorder, <laughs> which you know maybe that was part of the idea. Maybe that maybe Hartley intended yeah. to do that. True. But, they never. Um, they've never told us what his issue is. So right. Um. So he calls dad. He's like, so I think you guys have lost Loki again. And Odin's like, nope. We we checked our Loki box, and Loki is still there. Mm-hmm. And we've seen before that Loki can basically spy anywhere he wants. Um, he does okay. this here. He's done this before. He's it's kind of part of the Avengers number one as his eyeballs mm-hmm. watching everything. So just and you know, listeners, be careful next time you're in the shower. You might get a Loki from Loki. He can also affect things. So just limiting him to having to stay on Asgard doesn't seem to like prevent him from meddling. I'm not sure why. Yeah, because I mean, like, like, like that's that's his imprisonment that he could still do whatever he wants, essentially. Right. Is that the thing about gods? Right. Like. Yeah. The gods are up in the heavens, but whatever they're gods of, they're they're still doing, mm-hmm. affecting you know our lives here on Earth. Right, and also I, I I said this kind of pithy in the in my summary, but I believe the first time they fought, there was like some throwaway line like, "Thor's a god, so I can't turn him into a cute pink unicorn like I could other people or something like that." Right. I think so. So, but what's interesting to me is Loki can just twiddle his thumbs and make like one of the most powerful people in the world. And this is not the only time we're going to see Loki empower a mortal to help him against Thor. Right. So that's just really dangerous. Why not make 20 Sandus or whatever? The supernatural. I mean, theoretically, there might be limits to Loki's power as far as how Mm. much he can do in a time span or whatever. But certainly we've never heard that expressed. Yeah. Um, At the fair, Jane gets all excited. This is the first time we've seen an indication from her like out loud voicing an interest in Dawn. But of course, awkward awkward Dawn is awkward. Well, they definitely think about each other all the time. And this is interesting that they went to the carnival together. Why she's in a nurse's outfit, I don't know. They just came uh, back from a house call. Oh, okay. See, I don't read very well. So Uh, they probably just decided to swing by because they saw it. Um, But yeah, they're friends, I guess, because they hang out outside of the office. This is the first time anyway, sort of. But again, if it's from a house call, maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm just talking yeah. in circles. But it's hard, uh, it's hard to tell. But they, they do see the mind reading act and Jane gets all excited, they go over mm-hmm. there. And I don't I don't think I ever lived during a time when doctors made house calls. I don't know when that fell out of fashion either, unless you're rich. Right. But uh Donald does think about that that dumb thing that they they saddled on him last time, which was that not only is he scared to reveal his feelings, but now Thor or Odin has officially forbidden him to reveal himself to any mortal. So twice now that's going on. I guess that's probably just going to go on forever for a while, but it's a thing for a while uh, until they specifically address overcoming it. But yeah, it's it's a thing. Um, So Loki empowers Sandu makes him, makes his, you know, meager extrasensory abilities a thousand times stronger. And Mm -hmm. there's this great panel of his like growing menacing head. Oh yeah. That's really cool. It feels like a zoom in on a, on a, on a video, you know, um, and on page five, Loki thinks I have indeed chosen the right mortal. That villainous Sandu will create as much havoc on earth as I ever did. And I'm just thinking, you know, I, I don't know, Loki, you might be overestimating Sandu's <laughs> ice cream car creation tendencies. <laughs> I think Sandu beats him in this issue. Really? Yeah, I think so. Easily. Too. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Not. He doesn't beat him in, in the uh, whipped cream streets. No, but no. He does beat him in some extra no. ex- actual havoc. And he doesn't menace. beat him in style. This is true. Have you, have you ever seen um, 
What's that movie with the animated movie, the mind, uh, the blue guy that was like a villain or whatever? Oh, oh yeah. Mega yeah, mind. Um, mega mind. Yes. So the two villains at the end, and he's like, oh, you're a villain, all right, but just not a super one. What's the difference? Presentation, you know? <laughs> and it's like, that's Loki for you. <laughs> yeah, you just robbed people and was a, you were effective, but you didn't make ice cream streets. Right, right. <laughs> you need horns on your helmet, Sandu. <laughs> right. Um, um, so Sandu starts... It's really interesting that we have such a prolonged flashback sequence uh-huh not the first one on this week or this yeah. month not the last one not the last one by far not the worst one either no no it's actually a pretty good story i mean it's not actually yeah i like his background story and loki giving him powers and everything mm-hmm. um it might have been cool to understand why loki thinks that he's evil and why he actually is evil but I guess just because he's foreign and he can read minds that he's automatically evil because he yeah. wears a turban. Oh. But, yeah, it's okay. Otherwise, yeah. it's pretty cool. And it, I like how it catches up to the, you know, where we started essentially with the bank robbery and explaining what happened to the people and how they got to where, to the point of view of where Thor encountered them. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, I, I, I would hate to think that this story was trying to demonize people in turbans, but, but yeah, um, it's, could it's, be. It's hard to figure out why Loki picks this particular guy in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so he starts throwing buildings on the moon for no reason. Just like sense starts sending all the remnants of his crimes to the moon. Yeah, I guess to to uh, you know no fingerprints that way or something. I don't know. Yeah. I guess if you can Ta- teleport anything, why not? And he teleports the UN building. And and hey, Mike, when he, when he's when he's teleporting the UN building, does does that mean he's um? He's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> Here's what the guy says. So he's lifting the building and he's going to kill everybody. And they're all like, um, we actually can't do what you're asking. You know? And this one guy goes, this one guy goes, the man is mad. Humor him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just go ahead and tell him yes. So we don't die. Right. Um, but yeah, he Thor knocks out Thor. Up. And I was wondering, you know, I can't, I guess we've had what? Eight Thor stories now, nine Thor stories. So mm-hmm. So I couldn't remember every single one of them, but has Thor been knocked out yet? Because that's pretty big. I think this was a first time, and it feels a little—it feels a little weak. Yeah, I mean, it's it's eye beams from a, he he falls in a pile of construction metal, which, granted, a normal person shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. He's a freaking god of thunder, right? Yeah, you'd think he'd be a little tougher than that, but I don't know if I can't really tell what happens exactly. He says. That Derek and those girders, all I have to do is concentrate and I can teleport them into the air right behind me, like so. And so then Thor's Thor going goes, after him and he smashes into the metal. Okay, so he just makes a wall, essentially, of falling yeah. girders. They don't even, like, smack into him. He just smacks into them. And they all fall together and he lands in a trench. Right. And um, he wraps them up in chains and puts a building on his face. And he wakes up and he's like, so I'm not injured. Um, but the fall weakened me. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't believe it. I thought, I thought how it was going to go is that he used the power belt to lift the building, you know? That would be the most logical thing to do with the power belt is, you know, lift the building off of him because yeah. that's hard. Because I, because I figure even if you argue that Thor could lift a building without a power belt, can he lift a building when he's laying on his back and the building's like on his chest? That's a little different angle. Yeah, a little different. A little different problem. Even if you're super strong, like there's got to be a there's got to be difficulties in certain positions to lift things. 
So that's kind of how I thought it was going. But then it turns out he's in a trench and he didn't even have to left the building. Here's the weird thing. The chains aren't actually holding him down. No. They're just... They're wrapped around his torso. They're not wrapped around his arms. (laughs) I didn't even notice that. (laughs) In all of the scenes of him wrapped in chains... They're just wrapped around his torso now. Now, Spawn wears chains like this as an accessory. Luke Cage. Right? Yeah. So, he takes the belt to bust the chains that he doesn't have to bust out of in order to move. And then he uses his hammer to bore an escape tunnel. Yeah. So, he doesn't need his belt. He actually didn't use his belt at all for this. Wow. He doesn't use his arms either by that rationale. He just expands his chest and and they break. He pulls a he pulls a Superman two thirty three cover before that was a thing. Yeah. So then that while, while we're here on the belt thing, though, I should mention the Valkyries. You're just describing them, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but um, they obviously look nothing like our favorite warrior from the Defenders. Exactly. And even less like the Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok. They're basically remember the Ghostbusters. I remember and Ghostbusters. Yeah. When Ray Stance has the dream. Uh-huh. About the ghost woman over his bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they look like. It's two pretty blonde girls in flowing dresses who like float down from the heavens and yeah, their their race dances ghost wet dream. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, mythologically that's even very accurate because I always thought the Valkyries were like more like warriory type people, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe I just no, got that I, from I think Marvel. They are. No, uh, you're right. I've, so much that I know about Norse ideas, quote unquote, no, is really just Marvel. So, um, but if they, if they were warrior women, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what are they called? They're called, I don't, well, I mean, they're called Valkyries, obviously, but they like actually talk about them. What do they say? They say they are able to glide right through the steel building In ancient mythology. Mighty Thor possessed a belt. Um, the Valkyries ascend carrying the enchanted belt. I thought they talked about what he what they are. Oh, they then. were Odin's attendants, and they hovered go. over battles, deciding the outcomes. Yeah, see, I think that can't be right, but I don't know. Someone with a mythology degree, maybe call us or write us or something. Yeah, I didn't think to look it up on Wikipedia or anything. I, before. I didn't either. Oh, That's well. all right. Somebody will tell us. We're not here to like tell you guys what's all wrong with Thor and Hercules and stuff in Marvel comics because there's a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> His hair, oh. for instance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think, I think that this is the first time we see the idea of enchantment associated with only Thor being able to lift the hammer. Yes, absolutely true. Because before that, it was more like he's the only one strong enough to lift the hammer. Right. And yeah, so Sando, Sandu tries to lift it physically and that doesn't work. And then Loki wigs out like, no, 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 it's enchanted. Don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And he tries to override the enchantment with his telekinesis and that backfires on him. And I don't know if that's just specific because Loki gave Sandu his power. And so that somehow overrides it. Or if that would happen to anybody who had awesome mind powers that could lift things, trying to lift an enchanted hammer. I don't know. I don't know if this will ever happen again like this, but yeah, it's a good question. The, uh, the description of what happens just talks about him straining his telekinesis until he has a mental short circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and this is kind of all she wrote with Sandu. Sandu does not come back aside from one issue of a series called Thor First Thunder, which 
I'm guessing is like an early days retelling kind of series. I never mm-hmm. read it. Probably just a flashback or something. Yeah. I love this though. I could make you fly. I could hurl you halfway around the world, but I won't bother. You're no longer a foe worthy of the mighty Thor. Right. And then he just hands him to the cops. <laughs> but it's like, Not with it, my time. It's kind of scary. It's like, I could throw you into space. I've done it before. You are now beneath the notice of the Chris's. Or I could throw you to Asgard. I've done that before too. <laughs> yep. Tie you to my hammer. Yeah. They will so, take you. Speaking of Asgard, I did kind of notice, because he doesn't talk like Thor yet. You know, like that pseudo Shakespearean Thor talk. Mm-hmm. But I was noticing when he's talking to his dad, I, thy eldest son, he uses a lot of these and thys. Oh, does he? I'm going to go back so, to that Not page. a lot, but enough to where I was like, oh, he sounds a little Thor right there. A little bit. I thank thee, father. Farewell. Like, does he have to put on the Shakespeare when he's talking to Asgard? But otherwise, he can just talk like Donald? That's interesting. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. I Because Odin does it, too. Long has thy belt of strength been in my charge. You know? That's his thing. So they're maybe starting to get this idea that maybe the Asgardians talk more stylish than we do. And, um, you know, my wife was raised Quaker, which is sort of a very unique offshoot of Christianity that, you know, has a lot of uniqueness to it. Anyway, um, and they used to use a lot of thous and these mm. when addressing God. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, oh, Father, who art in heaven, how will be thy name? We do yeah. that Catholicism too. Yeah. So maybe it was just the fact that God's talking to gods. Yeah. They invoke that there. Mm-hmm. That'd be, um, be a good question to ask Dan's brother since he did the scripting on that. Mm-hmm. But I just, Loki I, is. I've just been kind of trying to keep my eye on when, when Thor starts talking like that full time because he will. Yes, he will. And it definitely happens during Stan's run. So we just got to watch and see where, where it switches over yeah. or starts to switch over. Because he's just not Thor unless he's talking like that. <laughs> and of course, in modern, they have like the extra font for him, which is great. Yeah, that's kind of cool. All right. Well, Loki is going to be back again next issue with another Joe Sinnott story. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think now it's time to change change heroes. But before we go there, coming September 1st, Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers, creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. And now we're going to go back to our next hero... Ant-Man. Yeah, Ant-Man. There were only two comics released the first week 
of the month this month. Everything else is on the back end. So this is our other February 5th comic, Tales to Astonish 43, which okay. is the, it's the last, it's the last one. Before, last one or what? Before the Wasp shows up. Oh, is it really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, last... I have some things to say about that then. <laughs> but you can summarize it first. All right. So not cheating, not looking at the, at the pages, just, you know, sitting here. Um, Loki, not Loki. Ha! <laughs> Ant-Man. Ant-Man's just chilling. Ant-Man's uh, walking through the streets of Center City, just doing his thing. Um, whenever a paper, a telegram or something falls on him, and the boy goes over and picks up his telegram, he's like, dude, it's the Ant-Man. And people around him are like, sweet, it's the Ant-Man. Dude, it's the Ant-Man. Sweet, it's the Ant-Man. <laughs> and Ant-Man's like, hey, I, 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 I'm going to go. And he like calls an ant and runs away because like he gets scared of the publicity, which I think is funny. Um, so then the person delivering the telegram takes it to, his last name is Weems. I forget his first name, Richard or Robert or something. Mr. Elias. Elias, I was way off. Samsonite, I was way off. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> okay, so Elias Weems, I'm so sorry that that is your name, sir. Um, he has uh, been called to his job where he is in engineering of some sort, and he is being told by his job, hey, you know what? You're 65. Time to let you go. And um, that's it. You're fired. And so Elias Williams is all sad because his grandson is coming to town and his grandson likes his profession that he's in, electrical engineering, whatever it is. He is looking forward to taking his grandson to the labs and showing him around. And now he doesn't have a job. And he's like all pissed off at society for casting him off just because he's reached a certain age. He's like... I'm still vibrant. I've still got ideas. My mind still works. Treating me old. So he decides to get a little bit of revenge by developing a device that will age um, living creatures. So since this is a comic book, it takes him about three panels to do that. Um, to come up with a device that completely baffles any actual real science. Um, he tests it out in his backyard he shoots a sapling with his beam and it turns into a old fat oak tree and um so then henry pym is at the zoo just because he can be and the old guy is in the crowd and he's like i'm gonna use my beam on this elephant over here and Henry Pym sees the elephant. It's this baby elephant. Gets older and older and starts to age. He's like, oh my gosh, this elephant's aging out in front of my eyes. And hey, look, there's a beam on it. I'm going to turn around and see where this beam is coming from. <laughs> um, also, I think before the elephant, he uh, he sees some, some young guys being a bit wolfish and lewd and um, inappropriate about a, a passing young woman. And so as a joke... As a lark, Weems shines the beam on the woman and has her age into, you know, a certain age that young men might not find attractive and leaves her there. We don't see him fix this. It just, you know, she keeps on going about her life. And I I'm guessing that at some point she goes home and realizes that she's now 57 years old and like has an emotional breakdown. 
Eh, he know. fixes he fixes it. They just don't show it. You think so? Okay. No, they say so. Oh. I was, uh, I was inventing this whole life story for him. <laughs> I know, right? You ruined my dreams. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Millie the Model, episode number 55, didn't happen. Okay, so so now that she has her life back together and Henry Pym has looked over his shoulder at the zoo to find the guy who's doing the beam, I don't think he finds him. Um, I think Weems goes and like later gets up on the top of a building, shines his aging beam down on the crowd and makes them all turn old. And... Um, Ant-Man's like, I'm going to stop you. Um, and he realizes that he, does he, does he make Ant-Man turn old before he realizes he also hit his grandson? Yes. Okay. So Ant-Man also turns old in the, um, in the beam and has to go after him, even though he's an old Ant-Man. Um, but Weems looks down and notices that in the crowd of people that he has aged, his grandson is down there now looking like a 40 or 50 year old man instead of a, I don't know, 15, 20 year old grandson. And uh, so he's like, oh no. And Ant-Man convinces him that, uh, oh no, Weems (laughs) Weems is so shocked he drops the gun Mm -hmm. off the roof. It falls to the ground, doesn't shatter into a million pieces. And everyone picks it up and they're like, oh, no, it's this horrible beam. We got to destroy it. And I was like, don't destroy it. Just reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and you're good. <laughs> so they reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and um, shine it on all of them. And they're all back to their vibrant young selves and, you know, with the firm flesh and, and you know, everything's perky and happy again. Um, and Weems is, re- is, is reunited with his grandson. Everything's happy, except for the fact that he just kind of, you know, you know, attacked all these people and assaulted them. So he gets arrested and he goes mm-hmm. to court and Henry Pym is there as Ant-Man to sort of plead his case that, Hey, you know, he was rejected by society. He was not a criminal. He was just bitter and angry. And, um, he would much rather just be able to live his life like he used to. And this company's like, Hey, and you know, we fired him. And because we thought being old men, he couldn't have ideas. And dude, that aging beam, that's a pretty cool idea. We're going to bring you back on and, and pay you more. And, and um, so the, the old white guy gets totally let go by the judge and not, not sent to prison for committing a crime yep. and lives happily forever after. Yep. And that's basically so, the story. <laughs> so let's talk about the cover because I was excited when I saw this cover. Yeah. What do you think about the cover? Well, one, it also has a box. So let's describe that a little bit. Oh, it's, yeah, there's it's, a box. Instead of just like Thor's head in a licensed picture, this is Ant-Man's whole body. But he kind of is just like standing there sideways with like his head hunched over for some reason. Yeah, it looks kind of like... A little weird, but... It's kind of an off-balance picture. He's on one foot. His other foot is off panel. Uh, it looks like he might be doing some sort of cool balancing pose or he might be awkwardly running. He may be doing the whole running with your arms behind you thing. Like in yeah, anime? Right. But I saw this. As soon as I saw this, I was like, this is just like a Captain America cover that I had, you know, because I used to read Cap all the time. And it's Cap. I had to look up the number because I'm not Michael Bailey. It's Captain America number 355. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that story, Captain America gets turned young. Oh. Um, on purpose. But the cover makes it look like it's a shock to him. And it's got the same three divided panels. One is Cap lunging right at you. The next one is him like in pain going muscles on fire shrinking. And then the third one is him hunched over with a really loose fitting outfit going, I've become a teenager. And it was like, 
They're not exactly the same pose, but I know that this cover had had to have inspired that. It has to have. It would have to have. Because Ron Friends is was the artist on that Captain America cover, and he's a mm-hmm. big fan of like old 60s stuff. Like he draws a lot like Kirby or, you know, with that kind of style. And I could just see him like using this as sort of the inspiration for doing the opposite story of turning your hero young instead of old. Yeah, the last Okay, the first two panels are not the same pose. No. But the last panel is the exact same pose. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he was definitely homaging this um this cover. That's pretty great. That's pretty um, cool. And you know, and one other thing about the cover is that the blurb says the mad master of time had the one power which even Ant-Man was helpless against. And I was just thinking that maybe there are a lot of powers that Ant-Man <laughs> would be helpless against. Also big boots. Yeah, um. <laughs> a well-named boot would be uh, would be a downfall for him. That's definitely more of a uh, like a caption for Superman or something. Yeah, but I liked the opening scene where where Henry just starts feeling all awkward because I don't know that that just seems to make sense with the Henry that we come to know later. I like we've talked about this before. I like that Ant Man is like a legit the superhero defender of whatever the city's called. I forget they said it Center again. City. In this, yeah, they said it again in this issue. And Center a, City. Yeah. So I don't know, especially now that Don Heck is drawing it and he's even more superhero-y. Mm-hmm. Like, I like this scene in the beginning. Like, yeah, he is a little awkward, like wants to get out of there, but no more than this reminds me of like, he, he's kind of like, if Thor is Superman, then Ant-Man is sort of Batman-y um, mm-hmm. before he goes back to being dark again. You know, that 60s kind of, he's our hero. We have a red phone that we can call him anytime we need him. He's animal themed. He's got, you know, I don't know, instead of computers and stuff, he has ants that, hang out at police stations so he knows when there's trouble and right. he shows up and everybody's just happy to see Ant-Man. And I, I just really like that. And it also makes me sad because I know that this isn't going to last. And pretty soon Hank Pym's going to be like ruined by people. It's a long time before Henry Pym becomes a, a problematic character. He's just, um, I, I, you know, he, he never becomes super interesting or super engaging as a person, but you're right. As a superhero comic, there's a lot of, you know, fun, quirky stuff here. Mm-hmm. And I, I did look up the center city stuff because, um, I wasn't sure. So I skimmed back all the previous issues and, you know, just as far as my skim went, everything in the previous issues, it all looks like New York. It all sounds like New York, mm-hmm. but the name New York was never explicitly used that I could find. Yeah. Um, but also we never said center city until last issue. So it is new to call his home center city, even though it looks like New York. And kind of odd that they're going that way. Cause they didn't do that with other things, but. No, because Spider-Man is explicitly New York. And I, I don't know if Thor is or not, but it seems like he is. But maybe that's just because we assume that. I don't know. Yeah, like we assume it with Ant-Man because everything looks like New York and they, they Fantastic call it sprawling Four. metropolis. And Fantastic, Fantastic Four is New Four. York. It's definitely New York, right? It would have to be because Peter Park, Spider-Man just went over there. Oh, well, and that also when they were fighting Submariner, they went to like this borough of New York, I thought. But I can't remember what the name was now. Yeah, anyway. The, the Bowery? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this guy, what's his name again? I already forgot. Elias, Elias Weems. Weems. Like, here's what I liked about him. I liked that he wasn't a killer because um, he had a chance. He, like, your summary was a little weird. Like, I think you forgot that there was this whole scene where he Ant-Man actually finds him before he goes to the rooftop. Yeah, he, I thought about that afterwards because there's a whole thing where he, like, takes Ant-Man's helmet. Right. He has the police station ant feelers out there. And from there, he like goes door to door to like all these different labs looking for anybody who's been fired lately or, you know, <laughs> that's right. Yes. And then, and so he figures out it's Weems. 
He goes to his house and Weems de- Weems ages him, but takes his helmet off, which is cool. But then just puts him in a bucket. He's like, I don't want to kill you. I even think he says out like literally, I don't want to kill you. It's not like just a weird plot device. Mm-hmm. Like you're not my enemy. Um, and then I, and then like later, like I mean, his whole plot is to age people, not necessarily kill him. And he also doesn't keep the uh, woman or the baby elephant old. Like he reverses it. Mm-hmm. It says so in both of it. it. Doesn't it shows it off panel or off camera? But so like he's like not the most villainous villain. And I kind of like that sometimes there's degrees because just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're willing to go all the way every time. And it seems like right. every every villain we have in these stories is like a megalomaniac who wants to rule the world and has no qualms about killing anybody. It's kind of like the um, the whole you know conversation about rape in your comics is like not every villainous male has to be rapey. Like yeah. they can want to steal. And they can want to rule the world or whatever it is they want to do without being rapey at the same time. Like, you don't have to have that. And right. for a while, it's like so many supervillains was like, I'll be so evil. I'll rape people. And, you know, it's just don't, yeah. don't, don't freaking rape people. Yeah. Um, I mean, this guy just goes a little crazy. That's all. Just but a little he, crazy. He gets and back. I, I have to wonder if, like, the whole being fired at a certain age thing was in the public conversation. In late mm-hmm. 1962, early 1963, because it does become illegal in 1967. And yet still is a topic of conversation maybe today. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, even now, like with all this technology that's going on, people feeling are feeling outdated quickly. Right. But you have, re- you have retirement. Like, you know, four, you know, 10 years later, 40 years later, whatever, this guy would not be fired. He would be asked to retire he would be given a severance package or a retirement package or whatever it is that comes with all that mm-hmm. um but here they're just literally he came in monday morning and they said nope right they were they were pretty mean so in a way they deserved it and i also like that in the end they realized that and i also was thinking the entire time like this guy just invented the coolest thing in the world and instead of thinking who needs a job i can make millions with this thing um he goes to be a villain but then i also like that in the end they're like yeah, we're taking him back because it was wrong to fire him. Also, he invented the most amazing thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, this thing would be very useful in, say, like agriculture or something like that, where yeah, you can just grow things to the exact age you want them to be before you ship them to the grocery store. That that, um, should, that should make you some millions. It would be it would, it would it would be super helpful, and they didn't have to rip off Henry Pym and his science too, like like Reed Richards does. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so. In this story, it gets actual plot significance, but I was noticing that whenever Henry Pym does the whole like flying through the air thing and landing on a pile of ants, uh-huh. he says at the bottom of page seven, couldn't ask for a softer landing spot. It's like, you've done that a few times. You've landed on a pile of ants and had, like admired the softness of the landing. Uh-huh. And then, of course, later on, this comes into the story because um, I forget what they do. They do something where someone has to land. Oh, the gun. Yeah, the gun lands whenever he drops the gun off the building, off the top of the building. Mm-hmm. The reason it doesn't smash a million pieces is because a bunch of ants, like millions of ants, within what the one point seven seconds it takes for the thing to fall. Um, <laughs> They're very fast ants. Yes, they really, have been. really they fast. They have been ants. in the series often. So they, you know, make a cushion for the thing to land on. Um, mm-hmm. So the thing earlier ends up being like a, a setup of the idea. Yeah, I wish there was a little caption though. Like a thought bubble from one of the ants, like he killed Frank. That'd be funny. Dave is uh, gone. I love all this old age stuff though. That when he ages Ant Man, throws him in a bucket, and then Ant Man's like, 
finally, because I've talked about this billions of times, like why doesn't he ever just change size? And there's always yes. either, he either doesn't or there's an excuse like he only had one gross serum and it broke or something. This time it's finally like, I'm stuck in a bucket. What do I do? Oh, yeah, I can just grow back. And he and grows it shows back. Like the bucket busted to pieces at the, at the, on the floor there. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time he like size changes out of a trap. Right. Even Thor has size changed out of a trap before. When, when he was <laughs> right. in his big electronic chains and the prisoner of the red story, he turns right. into Don Blake to get out of them. Yeah. I like that. And then he takes the guy's coat and like walks his way home all humble and stuff. But uh, he's a pretty handsome old guy. Looks cool when he was old for some reason. I don't know. I he does it. a lot of size changing as an old man, which, you know, give this like two years and him size changing a whole lot, putting stress on his body. I'm like, are you size changing that much at your age? That's, that's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was cool. I liked the story. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. Again, we have like this guy who's the most brilliant inventor in the world. That makes me wonder if like Reed Richards or Tony Stark or Hank Pym even are smart because it seems like the bar is really high in the Marvel universe. But <laughs> I mean, this guy didn't even change his clothes and he already had this invention made uh but otherwise of work yeah otherwise i like the story i think it was nice i, I think I, it was cool that he didn't become super evil and that it was had a happy ending and there was like this comment on age and both don't waste don't squander your youth and you know there's still stuff you can do when you're old it's funny because it's it's a very simple story but it's also still kind of satisfying mm-hmm. and next issue we get the wasp yeah so that'll and we be also interesting. Get, like longer Ant-Man stories. They're going to start lengthening some of these shorter stories next next month. So we'll see how that goes for us. Yeah. So we are. Hold on one second. We are almost at our hour mark, but I say we push on because yeah. I, I would really hate the next episode to start with this book. That'd be really <laughs> sad for me because this is like the, my least favorite book we've ever read, probably so far in this podcast. <laughs> wow. Okay. Even though yeah. even though I have to summarize it. And I yeah, don't want do to. It. I'd rather just get it over with. So Bring on the freaking painter. So let's end this badly with Strange Tales number 108. And that was, because I'm not prepared, that was called The Paint, the Painter of a Thousand Perils. Also written by Stan Lee with pencils by Jack Kirby. So I guess he came back for this one for some reason. But yeah, Robert Bernstein is, is scripting this one. and <sighs> All right. So, also, just oh throw it out there. This is uh, starting our second week, February 12th. Okay. February. All right. Yeah, yeah. Came out February 12th, cover dated May 1963. So it starts with the Human Torch, I think, kind of going around. Um, and they're sort of talking about all the awesome people he's – well, the quote-unquote awesome people he's beaten up in Strange Tales so far, which I'm not even going to get into because we've already done that. Um, and then it shows him stopping a few more. And then he has like a chat with his cop and the cop's like – Gee, Johnny Storm, Human Torch, you're sure good at beating up bad guys and stuff. And Johnny's like, yeah, but, you know, they keep coming. And someday there might be one that stops me. Who knows? Maybe this issue, shrug. And then it cuts to the local, like, gangster's hideout. And his name is Scar, I think. Uh, I'll call him Scar Hoodlum. He has a real name. But they everybody calls him Scar, in quotes. And Scar and his guys are hanging out. And in busts this painter looking guy named van vile i think he -hmm. is vile he is vile that's all i remember is that his name was vile because the story's vile and he's vile so van vile comes popping and he's like the short dude with a goatee and he has like a paint or uh you know paint palette paint board thing i don't know what you call them where you you hold your paint on the board and your paint palette yeah palette yeah yeah 
And they're all like, ew, what are you doing here? You're so stupid. You're like this really lazy, lame criminal. And weren't you in jail? And did you just escape and like bring all the police here? Get him out of here, boys. And so Scar like sticks the boys on him. But before they can get to him, he like whips out his brush and like with lightning speed paints this three-headed, six-armed gorilla on the wall. And the thing comes to life and like beats up Scar's guys. And Scar's like, uh, what just happened? Did you just hypnotize us? Yeah, that must be what you did. Why don't you just shoot him, other thug? And so the other thug pulls out a gun and Van Vile, I don't even know how he does this, but he paints in the air or something around the gun or paints on the gun. And he makes the gun like 68 times bigger, like a cannon from a battleship. And I think the, he turns around to the wall behind him and I paints guess. the guy with a stupid gun. And that's why that's how oh, I decided. It, that's okay. how I ended up deciding it was supposed to be. That makes a lot more sense. Okay, that's what he does. He paints the guy with a bigger gun, and that magically makes the guy have a bigger gun. That's at least consistent. Um, and that guy is holding the gun. It's really heavy, and he drops it, and it goes through like five floors and makes a bunch of commotion and noise. And Scar's like, okay, okay, fine. You're not hypnotizing us. I believe in your magic paint power, but now the cops are coming. What do we do? So Van Valk paints a magic carpet, and they all jump on it, and they fly away, right? And then this is where the book becomes one big flashback about Van Vile. So here we go, because it's really important. Uh, the Scar's like, so tell me all about your life or something while we're riding around on this magic carpet. And Van Vile tells him that like he started out wanting to be an artist, and that didn't work because he sucked. So then he thought, I'll, I'll be a forger. But he's so like lazy about research, I guess, that like, <laughs> like he tried to forge the Mona Lisa but forgot to put a smile on her or something like that. So... You know, really bad at his job or his, you know, illegal job. And then he thought, well, I'll go into, uh, 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 what's it called when you, uh, counterfeiting. I'll go into counterfeiting. Yes. And, uh, but that didn't work. He, or he made the dollar bill successfully, I guess. And the person he was working for was very happy. But then they're like, hey, can you make $5 bills? So he did that and he went on a test run with him and he went into the shop and tried to buy something from the skinny blonde boy, right? And the blonde boy's like, uh, Mr. This is counterfeit. And he goes, huh? Why? Why do you think so? Because there's no sideburns on Abe Lincoln's face. And Van Vile, or Van Vile's like, oh, that sucks. I forgot to put sideburns on. Dull. I better take this kid back to the hideout. So he pulls a gun on him. He says, hey, kid, you're coming with me. I can't let you tell anybody about all this. And the kid's like, oh, don't take me back. Oh, I'm so scared. And... Van Vile's like, yeah, you are. And he takes him back. And then it turns out the skinny blonde kid is actually Johnny Storm because Johnny Storm has a day job or something because he's a teenager. And Johnny Storm turns in the human torch and makes short work of Van Vile and all his all his uh, 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 people and calls the cops. And Van Vile gets arrested. And that's why he hates Johnny Storm. So that's 28 pages. And then Scar's like, yeah, okay, fine. You hate Johnny Storm, but how did you get here? What's with this magic paint? Oh, let me tell you 28 pages more of flashbacks. So then it goes to how he's in prison and there's like a loose stone or something. And he works and works and works and gets to pop off. And he jumps down into the like the catacombs of the prison. And he's running around and he sees... <laughs> Every time I think of this picture, it just cracks me up. I don't know why. But he sees, like, a picture of, like, these aliens waving or something, right? They're looking all happy. And underneath he sees the, you know, the palette of paint that's all preserved. And he makes this comment about how, like, there must be this certain pressure in this place for it to be preserved. Because these paints are obviously very old. And I know that because there's these hieroglyphics or something. And I can magically read them. And they talk about how there's this alien race that, like, use these paints – 
magically or scientifically or something, anything they painted would come to life and make happen. So how they traveled the world is they would paint themselves on a joyride and go from point A to point B. But apparently a saber-toothed tiger or something killed them before they could actually make that happen because they left their paints here this time. And now I have them. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to like, uh, you know, ruin Human Torch's life. So now we go back to the president and we got two pages left to tell the story. Uh, so what he does is he paints a fantastic far fantastic car fantastic car and makes that come to life and scar uses that to rob a diamond place and human torches around so he tries to stop him but before he can stop him magically because of van vile's painting this like these big uh showery valve thingies appear out of nowhere and hose him down human torch down so now he has no uh you know flame and he goes that sucked and then later these big monsters appear out of nowhere at an amusement park that Johnny and his friends are at. So Johnny tries to stop the uh, the monsters and he chases them off to the beach. But then they just disappear and suddenly this big wave of sand stamps out his flame. And he's like, well, that sucks. And then finally Van Vyl's like, now two out of three. Finally, the piece de resistance. And he paints a wall around Johnny and he paints the other members of the Fantastic Four and has them attack Johnny. And then they, he has them like throw dynamite at Johnny and the whole wall and everybody blows up. And Van Vyl's like, yes, he's dead. I did it. And just as they're celebrating and high-fiving and popping the champagne, uh, Human Torch comes out of nowhere and melts the painting, melts the easel, melts the, the uh, I don't know why I keep forgetting what it's called, the palette. The, and the brushes and the paint and the magic paint and the space paint or whatever it is. And Van Vyl's like, what? No, you've ruined everything. How could you have done that? And Human Torch says, well, I noticed that the valves that came out of nowhere didn't have valves or holes where the water come out. I noticed something about the sand and the beach that I can't remember now, but who cares? And I just figured this must be your doing because it's just so inconsistent and bad shoddy artwork. So I found you and I eavesdropped about how all this works. And then while you were sleeping, I painted a picture of myself with your paints. And that's the human torch that you just killed with your paints because you painted your you painted not me, but you painted the painting that I painted. Or something like that. And then yeah. they all go, duh, and scratch their head, and then it's over. So just to throw it in there, the thing that the torch said you did wrong with the beach was your beach didn't contain litter baskets. Like, okay, I understand, but really, because your beach didn't have trash cans on it, I'm going to notice <laughs> that it's a, it's a fake beach. <laughs> and put two and two together. Remember, it's the dollar bill guy that you arrested two years ago. Right. Okay, so... So, yeah, I'm done with this issue. The end. So you can find us at Make Art Now. <laughs> so Bob Ross gone bad. Um, yeah. This, this particular uh, character, the painter, um, I when I first read this issue, I was a little bit excited because this is a character I knew. Oh, God, does he come back? In 1990. He comes back. What? For um, a web of Spider-Man issue. A four-part story actually called Art Attack. Oh, my A-R-T. God. Oh, my God. And, um, and is it horrible? It's actually not terrible. It's much better than this. Well, how? Yes. <laughs> okay. 
of the four parts, um, three of them were done in I think they were supposed to be doing in different styles of art. I didn't really come, come away from it thinking that way. <gasps> Excuse me, I keep uh, belching. The first one was actually kind of fun because it has crossovers with um, uh, Peter Rasputin, Colossus from the X-Men shows up in it. Mm. But it's during the time whenever all the X-Men had gone through the Siege Perilous, and so they were all living other lives. And so Peter didn't know that he was Colossus. Mm. Um, he was just an artist, Peter whatever his last name was at the time. I remember that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's during the time whenever they were using Mary Jane's younger cousin, Christy. And she thought that Peter Rasputin was pretty hunky, but she also had a crush on Peter Parker and the artist drew them looking very similarly. So she was crushing on both of them. I don't know. Anyways, it wasn't a great story by any stretch, um, but it was, you know, the painter. Yeah. And so, in that issue, they have an editor's note. I don't know if it specifies this exact issue number or if it just says way back in Strange Tales. Um, so I got to this as like, oh, it's the painter from Strange Tales or, you know, from that Web of Spider-Man story. And yeah, this is, oh, this is something. God. I have, I have four tiny things written down. Okay, go ahead, Sam. One, making wooden engravings for prints is an entirely different skill set to painting. Yes. No, Just art, because you're an art artist art. doesn't mean you do both. Right. <laughs> um, and then on page seven, I wrote down, um, oh yeah, because it talks about why his fire runs out sometimes. He can, mm-hmm. um, the hotter his fire is, the faster it goes out. Which makes sense. Yeah. Kind of. So he basically has this heat re- heat energy reservoir, mm-hmm. and he can flame on until it's used up. The hotter he gets, the hotter he burns, the more quickly he uses the energy, which basically makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can even explain away how he seems to lose his flame so quickly sometimes mm-hmm. because he got too hot. Right. Uh, without, without meaning to. Um, I have, when he's in the cave and he sees the art, He's like, I can tell the age of the picture from its style. I'm like, no, that's not how that works. Well, especially since it's aliens who painted it. Right. The only reason we can tell age of art from style is because we have a thoroughly researched understanding of different styles corresponding to different periods. <laughs> right. And so you're, but you're not, you're, you're matching things up. Yeah. If you have aliens painting on a cave, they could be completely different from anything you've seen before. Yeah, but um, he, and also I I said hieroglyphics. It is hieroglyphics. He just deciphers them. That just drives me crazy a little bit. He just deciphers them. Yeah, that seems really hard. Yeah, remember Stargate? Yeah, remember how they yeah. were like arguing over the meanings of the hieroglyphs? Yeah, and they had to bring the one guy in who's like an expert and stuff. Like you can't just do it because you, I don't know, you're an artist, I guess. Right, because you can do dollar bill engravings. For but I like that 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 painting makes me laugh because. They paint themselves like hanging off the rockets or off the ship. So the guy's theory, Van Viles, is that this is paint in a in a uh, thing from like an alien race that paints themselves and that magically makes them trans, you know, transport somewhere else, I guess. How right? would that even work? Like I don't get how that would work. One, because like, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, because later he tr- paints himself phasing through the rock and getting away and it works 
somehow. I guess. But, like, why would they paint themselves outside of their ship? That just seems <laughs> <laughs> that seems crazy to me. It's almost like they're all on, like, a, a giant surfboard or, like, a, a, yeah. a, a paddle board or something. Yeah. And they're oh, hanging on. It's just weird. And it's just this weird mix of, like, clearly this paint is just magical nonsense, but yet it's from aliens. So aliens have magic now? Because usually aliens are more sci-fi techie. Right. So I'm it's not just saying it's aliens. <laughs> but it's probably aliens. But it's aliens. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the only other thing I had is that at the end... Torch went the long way around for this. Oh, my. But without showing any of it on camera. Yeah. Like, you can make flame duplicates of yourself. Oh, yeah. That, too. Yes. That you can control forever. We've already established in the story that his paint creations disappear as soon as he's done with them. Mm -hmm. So, you have no way of knowing how long this fake torch is going to last, how much you'll be able to control it, any of that stuff. Well, and also, what's the intention? If this is magical and I'm painting John Wilson, my intention is that this is going to affect John Wilson. Mm -hmm. Not John Wilson's duplicate that, right. you, that, that you painted when I was sleeping. So, like, he doesn't have a, an eyeball view of this torch. It's not like he's looking at the fake torch and painting. He's just in a room going, and now I'm going to paint this thing and it's going to happen to torch. And then somewhere it happens to fake torch, which isn't torch. So the magic doesn't even work. Yeah. And whenever logic falls apart in a story, that goes a long way to making me not like it. Yeah. Not to mention the entire setup is redonkulous, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, none of it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this, this was not doing well. <laughs> yeah. And like I said in my summary, like the the good majority of this story is flashback about who Van Vile is from his beginnings all the way to how he got to where he is. And then they just have to do this big rush job to like finish him off. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, did they all think this guy was going to be the next Dr. Doom or something? Even Dr. Doom didn't get this. He got like one, two panels of Reed telling us everything we need to know about Dr. Doom. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And unlike Sandu's flashback, mm -hmm. which was kind of, you know, fun and engaging to read. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, maybe even the best part of the story. Right. This is just kind of a ridiculous, it's ridiculous after ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So yep. that's what we want to end on because we don't want to start next episode with that. No, we want to start next episode with Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. So sorry we went a little long, people, but not that bad. Uh, yeah, only I don't like, think, yeah, only like 10 cut, minutes. After cut out the silence and a couple of interruptions we had along the way, I think we were right at an hour. So we can do some um, We can do some thank yous. I've got some thank yous prepared. Should I yeah, some, sure. do some thank yous? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I like to send out thank yous to the people who like the show on Facebook or who have followed us on Twitter. I've also started, and as I'm saying this, you've been saying it for a couple months now, but I also just started doing it today, thanking people you know, on Twitter or on Facebook who are sharing us and retweeting us, because mm -hmm. um, that is um, a really helpful way to just spread the word about the show. Uh, so if I want to, I, I had it open and then I, I, you know, went to my notes and came back to Facebook and it reset the screen. So I just try to find the page of who all likes us on Facebook as I'm vamping for time. Isn't that why what's his name in court right now? Cause it keeps refreshing the screen. <laughs> Something like that. Oh. So I think the last person I thanked was J David Weeder. And since then we've had Mark Adams and Curtis Findlay like us on, um, on the Facebooks. 
So thank Yay. you very much for liking us on Facebook and for supporting us there. And then over on Twitter, hey, Rob, this is when you said nice things about us on Treasury Comics. So that was really cool because mm-hmm. we got like a lot of follows after that. So let's see. Um, I had it open and now it's not there. I guess I should maybe trim some of this down and edits, but okay. So here we go. Um, the last people we thanked for following us on Twitter were the uh, swinging through Spider-Man podcasty guys. Cause we're the other, they're British and being British always makes things awesome. Yeah. Also awesome, but less British treasury comics, which is a podcast devoted to the treasury sized comics of all kinds, not just Marvel or DC, but like all kinds of treasury sized comics, the film and water podcast, Followed us on Twitter. Mm. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, but about movies. Um, and water? Maybe movies and water. Rob, is there water in your film and water podcast? <laughs> uh, Pod Dylan, which they podcast about the music of Bob Dylan. Oh, wow. One song every episode. I have got to check that one out. Okay. One that I'm planning on checking out as my um, Superman reading moves through the MASH episodes. I'll be listening to this podcast as I watch the MASH episodes. But the MASH cast. Oh. which is at MASH4077CAST. Mm. So, attention all personnel. MASHCAST is the podcast devoted to celebrating, episode by episode, the classic 1972 to 1983 TV series MASH. Jocularity, jocularity. Did you just pull that out, or do they say that? I was reading their little description, oh, but okay. in the in the MASH announcer voice from the movie. Okay, I was glad that they did it, because that's a pretty smart idea. Yeah, Um Okay, so they have the Treasury Size podcast, but they also have the Digest cast, which is all about the little pocket size comics format books. Boy, we really should have picked something that wasn't standard issue because that's going to take forever to cover. <laughs> um, Superman Movie Minute, which okay. is a podcast um, taking five minutes at a time and talking about 1978 Superman the movie. That is at Superman M O V M I N. Wait, so um, just five minutes an episode, they talk about the same movie? They do five minutes of the movie. Oh, what? Wow. Yeah. Okay, so movie minute podcasts are a thing now. Oh. I was actually on five minutes of a DCEU minute podcast. Oh. Um, and what we did is we sat down Sunday with five minutes of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and recorded one episode about each minute in sequence. And oh then he just released them daily over the course of the week. And that's like an hour episode? Yeah, those the, they got kind of, they were like thirty minutes to an hour per minute. Wow, wow, yeah. per minute. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of crazy. We had a lot, how 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 much time we put into it. It was, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it, it went a lot longer <laughs> than I thought it was going to. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, we have an author following us, Barry Reese at oh. Barry Reese Pulp, author of Lazarus Gray, Grave Digger, and Rabbit Heart. He's written for Marvel Comics, Moonstone, West End Games. Pro C Press and more. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you, Barry. Steven Moody. Steven, you don't have anything about yourself on Twitter. So, but thank you for following us. Um, Slangwood Resists. He's a comics fan. Comic Reflections, which is a history oriented podcast focused on the silver and bronze ages of comic books. And um, I want to stop right there because I want to have people to, I want to thank um, next week, which we're recording like in five minutes. So, um, <laughs> Wow, it sounds like Twitter's where it's at, man. Yeah, Twitter has blown up just in the last week, so that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so thank you all for following us, and thank you, everyone, for retweeting our episodes when you see them go up and sharing, resharing them on Facebook and all that stuff. 
And if you want to do more of that, you can just go to Segway, makearsmarvel.com, where you can find our Twitter link and our Facebook link and our Google Plus link that gets no action and our YouTube link that has almost as many subscribers as my personal YouTube account does. And I don't post any videos on my personal YouTube account, so that's kind of sad. <laughs> but uh, you can also post or you can also find on makearsmarvel.com a form to, to uh, send us an email or you can email us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And of course the site has all the various ways you can follow us, iTunes, uh, Google play, Android. Um, and don't forget to check out the show notes cause I'll post images on there. And sometimes people comment directly on those too, which has been happening lately. Kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. All right. Well, um, next time we're going to uh, continue on through the month of February, maybe finish out the month we've got two really big stories to talk about next time so maybe not um and until wearing megingyorth enables thor to beat thanos make ours marvel <laughs>